Thanks for listening to this special edition of Inside the Daily Press. You're about to hear a long-form conversation with a candidate for local office. Um, if you enjoy these, check out our website. You'll see most of the candidates have come in and spoken to us. And then check out our website for full election coverage at smdp.com. All right, folks, thanks for being here today. We are here with Alicia Mignano, who is running for uh, school board. Thanks for being here today. Why don't you just take a, take a few seconds here and just introduce yourself to folks. Who, who are you? Yes, hi. Um, thank you for having me here. I am so happy to be here and share who I am and, and why I'm running. I am Alicia Mignano. I am a parent of a second grader at Edison. I live in the Pico neighborhood, and I am a really dedicated, committed parent volunteer. My son started school at the height of distance learning. He started kindergarten, and so I jumped right in and started volunteering the school, starting attending board meetings. I've been really active with the District English Language Learners Advisory Committee. Um, and yes, I, you know, when I when I started school in California, um, in South Central LA, I was an English language learner. I struggled in school, and so I am I am committed to um, to meeting the needs of our students. Gotcha. Yes. Um, so. What's your number one priority? We'll just jump right in, right? So you mentioned there that you were an ESL uh, student yourself, that you're involved in that at the current school district level. You know, is that is that your driving priority? Is that what's really motivating you? Like, what's what's your number one priority for running for school board? Yes, my number one priority for running for school board, I would have to say that I, you know, I'm a people person. I believe that our students, more resources devoted to our students to address mental health, um, closing the opportunity gap, um, learning loss. It's about meeting our, our, our students where they are mm-hmm. and, and getting them the supports and programs that they need. I also believe in um, increasing parent engagement. As I said, I've been a very uh, dedicated um, parent volunteer. And I believe especially for the communities like our English language learners, our Latinx students, our Black African American students, our special ed, we need to have we need to increase parent engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my concerns has been that we have high turnover in key positions. For example, the parent engagement coordinator. Like staff the, positions at the district. Yes, yes. And I think that we could do better in, mm-hmm. in that area. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm a people person. Our students, our parents, our, our teachers and our staff, um, I believe in supporting um, supporting all of our, our our community to to get our students what they need and, and just to thrive. So, you know, you, you hit on a whole bunch of, of big topics, right? you got achievement gap, uh, mental health, learning loss. These are all things that people are interested in, right? Yes. But um, just pairing it back for a little bit. So you, you're, you're, you're a challenger, right? You're not an incumbent. You haven't run for school board before, right? Yes. So when you're looking at all of these things that you want to address, do you think the district, like, how do you rate the district so far? Do you think the district is doing fine but could do better, or is the district failing in these things and needs sort of remedial education to bring them back up to standard, right? Like, what? there's different people who take different approaches to where the district is on these priorities. Yes. So yes. as a parent, as a candidate, I guess let's ask you this. Are you, are you currently satisfied with how the district is approaching these kinds of priorities? And um, if, if so... How would you then classify your uh, interest in improving them? Yes, thank you. That's a very good question. I don't believe that our schools are in a crisis. Mm-hmm. I believe that we the pandemic was definitely very difficult. 
And like I said, I have a fresh perspective. Like one of the things that I was really, um, you know, that that summer where we were not going to have summer programming, our staff and our teachers were really drained from doing distance learning and we were not going to have the summer school programming. Um, and we got notices that our students were going to have to turn in their Chromebooks and their hotspots over the summers. Our libraries were closed um, and it was really hard. So I, I'm really proud to have gone into the school board meeting and say, hey, um, you know, we need to have our computers. We need to have our hotspots. Our students need to be able to keep reading. They need to be keep, be able to keep using those educational apps that our district has invested in. And, you know, they listened. Our school board said, yes, you're right. Our students should be able to have this, especially since we don't have, you know, our mm -hmm. library. They recognize that I, I'm a collaborator. I believe that, you know, there's always room for improvement, but our schools are good, our, our teachers are good, our, um, our staff is good, and we need to, we need to work together and, and, and make things. Always strong supporter of public schools mm -hmm. and always believe in serving and always making them better. Sure. Uh, there's room for improvement, but I, yeah, that, that I believe that everything, like if they were in this massive crisis and no, but but we we could do better in a lot of areas. Gotcha. So so going through the areas that you want to do better in, right? So l let's just start. I mean, we can pick anyone, but let's start with the achievement gap because that's been here for decades, decades, right? Yes, it's yes. just it. No one's gotten close to fixing it. It's a perpetual source of concern, and it's honestly something that every school board candidate always says they need. We need to address, right? It just is. It always is. But we're still here talking about it, right? So. What are your thoughts on it? How, how are you going to address the achievement gap in SMMUSD schools? Yes, the achievement gap, opportunity gap, engagement gap. Yeah, whatever has, you want to call it. Has it has many names. Um, I believe that our students, or all, I believe that all people are born capable and in, in to reach their potential. It's sort of like we are born to a certain set of parents in a certain circumstance, and our life experience pulls us apart. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we're talking about the opportunity gap, achievement gap, engagement gap, whatever we're going to call it, it really takes our entire community, not just our schools, not just our teachers, but it really takes the entire community to to tackle this problem or not, you know, to to ensure that that we have a thriving community. For example, you know, I, I, we know that when our students start TK, kindergarten, there's already large gaps in literacy skills, in math skills, in behavior, in attention. I believe we need to start early. Early education is great, but if we could even start earlier, like when you when you have a when you you know you walk out of the hospital with a newborn, it's not like you have a handbook mm -hmm. and, and you know how to do everything. So I think that, you know, there's a great opportunity to to have to have programs that support parents. Parenting is difficult and 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 to to teach parents like, hey, this is this is how the brain works. This is how children learn. This is how you can support your 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 newborn. Mm -hmm. And um, so I am a uh, I believe that we should start early and that our students need different supports and programs as they move through through school an elementary student needs different programming than a middle school student than a high school student. And um, and then college or vocational school, whatever it is, like we need to have something that's from zero to 24 or, or whatever and have the supports and programs that our, our students need to thrive. Sure. 
So why hasn't that? I mean, that sounds very logical and like easy in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just give them more support. Start younger, carry it through. Like absolutely. Why then? Why haven't we done it, right? Like why are we? If that's all it takes is just people saying or just people starting earlier, what's the holdup, right? Like why are we still facing this gap, right? What what? And I guess the follow up question from that is. Do you is there a specific um, is like a specific program that you've seen work other places that you you would support here? Is there like a policy change you'd make? Like it's easy to talk about big picture, right? But the yes. devil's always in the details, right? So how how are you going to implement something like that? Yes, you know I am I am new to Santa Monica. I did read about the um, the Cradle to Career mm-hmm. initiative, and I think that that sort of that sort of thing mm-hmm. is, is very promising. It is hard. It is hard. You know, it takes a lot of moving pieces to get all of the supports and programs. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying that this is an easy, an easy thing to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a school board member, you know, I I think that we could we could do specific things to help to help our students. Um, but yeah, I I I also, you know, like I, I talk about my personal experience. I was an English language learner. Mm-hmm. And the way that we measure our students, cap- like the way that we assess our students, for example, you know, um, we I hear t- talk about like acid, more acid based framing, like our students, like I said, are capable, like, for example, I was an English language learner. Maybe I didn't do so well in in the ex- in on all of the exams or whatever they're testing because you know they have they're testing you on English. You show up with your own with your home language as an English language learner. You show up with your home language and the skills that you've learned, and then you get tested on on things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, like for example, for exa- you know, if you're gonna be given a test in another in another language, you might know. You know, you might know some of this, but you're not going to know do well in another language. And so I think, yeah, I think that there's there there's other things that we could do. Um, I got yes. you. So, so you're looking at, so what I'm hearing you say are things like accommodations for native languages when it comes to standardized testing, right? Or, or other kinds of approaches that test the knowledge a child has outside of the particular language skill, right? Yes. Um just tell me a little bit about what it was like for you as an ESL student, because that's a big part of your background, and that's something that you've mentioned a couple times, right? So, what, how did that, um, how did that experience sort of shape you and your your approach to, to learning and education? Yes, um, you know, I I started, I I went to schools in South Central LA. I was um, my my family um, hardworking, working class. Um, we moved around a lot. We didn't really have stable housing, and I was I was an English language learner, so I I, I got tested on things that I didn't know. Um, it has shaped me in the sense that I, I think our kids. I remember showing up to to class and thinking, and and my teacher having some sort of comment of like, "Oh, um, I wasn't there with the right materials, or I wasn't there, but I was there." Mm-hmm. And sometimes even like that, showing up, showing up and and doing the work. Sometimes people don't understand that it's harder for some students to show up and recognize that. And um, I really, I really, um, that has um, 
like I say, resources, making sure I think our students are capable is just supporting our students through their learning. And that sort of leads into a little bit around like the mental health component, right? Because what, what you're talking about there is supporting the whole child, right? And, and the idea that supporting them where they are, appreciating the work they're capable of, you know, those are somewhat mental health uh, discussions and approaches. And mental health has been an emerging topic this year, right? It's been yes. the topic this year, student mental health post-COVID. So what what more should the district, what should the district be doing to address the mental health concerns of students? Like, what do you think they should be doing that they're not currently doing? How, how would you change the approach to support the mental health needs as they are today? Yes, one of the challenges, and I think this was brought up in a school board meeting, um, we at September 1st, I believe Shuli Lotan, um, you know, had a presentation to the, the school board. Um, I think one of the challenges is that uh, the school districts get a lot of one-time monies, mm-hmm. right? And it's sort of difficult to to work off of that and get programming and supports for our students in the long term when you're, you're only <laughs> given, you know, this certain amount of money this one time. Um, I think that's a challenge. I... I, um, you know, I've been reading those articles about like teen and teen tween girls, you know, and the and like all of the mental health issues that come with like, um, with all social media and images and messaging and being isolated. You know, our students were isolated. The pandemic was very isolating. Um, isolation, anxiety, depression, substance use. So I think that there there are a lot of um, there there are a lot of issues, but um, like Shuli Lotan talked about having more social workers on campuses. Mm-hmm. I think that this is something that we should do. Also, um, also Samo High is our community school, and that comes with a lot of resources. I um, yes, yeah, so there's there's that that's where we should start. Um, and so, so you mentioned, that, yeah, there's been one-time COVID funding, right? Obviously, putting more mental health professionals on campuses would be great. Where would the money come from for that, right? And this is also a budgeting question, right? Santa Monica is a rich district. It's a very rich district. And so there's always a perpetual discussion around our priorities, right? So when, when the district says it can't fund something or that there's a money question, a lot of folks look at the budget and are like, there's a ton of money here. It just depends on how you want to spend it. So when you're looking at maybe funding more social social workers or mental health professionals or those kinds of things. Are there places where you think that money could be drawn from? Are there, are there parts of the district that you think there's fat to be cut? And if not, where would we get the money to, to, to fund additional services from, right? Like if, if we're not cutting, we have to find more revenue, right? Like you, yes. where does it come from? So how do you, how do you pay for those things? Yes, I think that there were in, in that same school board meeting. There, were, you know, the state has the one-time funds, and also keep advocating for more funding for for mental health. Um, in terms of cutting of cutting things from the from the current, I mean, or reallocating cut. I mean, whatever you want to call it, right? Like, we, is there some place where you think money could be taken from now 
that could be used to fund, let's call it mental health services, as an example? I mean, I think I think just even putting it on our budget and saying this is an item, and then just looking at our budget and saying like, well, if this this is a priority, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if this is a priority for everyone. For everyone, but for me, it is a priority. So I would love to see it on on the budget as a line item, and we'll see. And then we start talking about our but aligning our budget to our priorities, mm-hmm. right? So for me, it's like getting it on there, and then seeing like, oh, really, what is the number that we have there, and how do we increase that number? Um, I I don't, you know, for that question of reallocate uh, reallocating funds from somewhere, I haven't thought about that, so I wouldn't, you know, I. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fine. You know, you don't have to give us a specific. We just give you the opportunity to say so if you wanted to, right? Um, yes. So, so let's you know transition to a different different priority here for a second because in your opening you mentioned a whole bunch of them, right? <laughs> There's lots of things, um, but you talked about parental engagement, and that is, I think. I think editorializing for a second, that's one of the driving differences in the candidates in this race. There are candidates who feel that parents are, I mean, everyone believes that parents want to be engaged to a point. You know, there's some parents who never do, but everyone believes parents generally want to be engaged. However, there's groups that feel that parental engagement is not encouraged or not listened to or dismissed. They, they feel that the current leadership structure does not allow for and encourage parental engagement. How do you think about this? Do, do you think the district does listen to parents? You gave an example earlier where you think they did. But broadly speaking, do you think the district listens to parents? Do you think the district needs to do more to increase parental engagement? Like, If so, what could they do to increase that engagement? Yes, when I'm talking about parent engagement, what I mean by that is – um, for example, like I said, I've been I've been part of the LCAP pack and part of the District English Language Learner Advisory Committee, and um, I'm a Latina, and so to me, it's talking about those communities that have been marginalized, that don't have the support to engage, that don't know the system. It's about engaging them. You know, I think right now we have a minority of parents that are very engaged, and show up to meetings and and speak their opinions Mm -hmm. and i see that we have people missing from those from from those board meetings people missing in 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 the Mm -hmm. in our conversation and i would love to see them so when i talk about parent engagement i mean i want to see the people that aren't here and how do we engage them how we how do we get them the skills and resources um to advocate for their students because i believe that when you have a very involved parent that 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 knows and um, very involved parent that has a big impact in their child's um, in their child's outcomes. Sure. So let's split that into two things. I mean, there's there's people who are engaged and are they being listened to, and then there's people who aren't engaged and you think should be right. So there's two buckets of question there. Let's do the second one first. How would you bring more parents into the conversation? What what would you do to find those people who aren't currently part of the conversation? and get them to start providing input and feedback on whatever the issue might be. Yes, I, I, our district, our district um, when it comes to interpretation and translation, I think we could, we could do better. We have parents that language is a big barrier for, and sometimes they show up to things and there isn't always translation and it's a very awkward. It mm-hmm. makes you not wanna show up again. I think that we have we could do, um, we could provide like 
childcare. We could do, you know, some some things to engage these parents um, in in the conversation, mm-hmm. right? But first, I think that they need to like. I I'm also part of the PTA and PTA Council, and there's a program called School Smarts that sort of goes through and 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 I know that we're not using this um, currently, but I think that there are workshops or there are there are ways that we could. Um, have presentations to the parents so that they can learn how the school system works, engage them at the site level, and then um, and and then have them become empowered and 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 see you know hopefully have them show up at school board meetings and and speak about what they're seeing and and what supports they need. Um, so yes, that's and so what's so someone like me right. I listen to meetings all the time. I've listened to meetings and I've listened to hundreds, if not thousands of civic meetings in different communities, in different, different places all across the, the California. And this is a common theme that I hear a lot is there's always talk of how do we increase participation, right? And I, because you're right, it's always a minority of folks who show up. And yet I always come to the notion that at, at the end of the day, somebody figures out how to get involved at a meeting, right? You figured it out. And I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be more to be done, right? I think the idea that at a school board, there should absolutely be a childcare component because where else would that make more logical sense, right? It doesn't make, if you can't get to a meeting because you have to take care of your kids, the school board is the one place where there should be some means of watching a child or helping with that, right, to help people participate. I totally get that. But again, A, it comes down to priorities of spending, right? How are we going to pay for that? And B, it comes down to me to this notion that we always talk about this and yet it never seems to come to fruition, right? We never seem to reach a point where no matter who's in charge, we've actually done what can be done to bring in a certain audience, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And again, it just comes to, I, I come down to, so what, what is going to, what would you change? Like, how are you going to make a difference on what to me looks like an intractable problem? Right. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying that I don't see how I don't know how we get to those people. Right. If if we offer a translation service, let's say, and if we offered um, child care for those folks, do you think that would really make a measurable difference in impact? Or is there something else? Is there some other policy or program that could be put in place to really draw out those folks who are reluctant to participate? Yes, um, that's a that's a good question. I, I don't know. We don't. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, let me um, let me put it to you another way. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Let me put it to you another way. Do, do you think the district? Do you think the district is doing enough now to reach marginalized parents? Just like straight up, like, do you think their outreach efforts to bring people in is currently sufficient? I don't think so. Got it. I, I think that this is an area. This is an area that we could do better. Like I like I said, I remember the surveys that went out during the reopening, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, I was really surprised to see oh five six responses from Spanish speaking parents. Mm-hmm. Why oh, do is this email this whole idea of like sending massive emails to reach? I don't think that it's like a one size fits all. I think that people need to be reached. You know, if we have we have different things that we could do to reach people. The survey to me that was that was really eye-opening, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm um, I, I know people have strong opinions <laughs> on reopening, 
And then I don't see those opinions reflected in those surveys. So I definitely think that there is room for improvement. Do I have all the answers? No. Am I committed to doing the work and trying to do this? Yes. Got it. Um, and so, so this leads to the other question, other half of this bucket of questions, which is when parents do engage and they do come to the district and they do try to influence decisions, do you think the district listens as it stands today? You know, we, we talked about, I agree it's a minority of folks and that's not a bad, I'm not being pejorative, it's just a smaller number, right? But a minority shows up, they say, we want to do X, Y, and Z. Do you think the district is, it listens to those opinions? I, I, from my personal experience, I feel like I've shown up, I've been respectful. They've, they've seen me, you know, they've hurt me mm-hmm. and they've taken action. So that's my experience. Sure. You know, I've seen very different approaches to how people engage. And I think that being respectful and and still speaking up and when you see something that needs to be improved, improved, but always coming from like, that's, you know, I, I, they've, they've listened. Like I said, the, the, um, the computer and the hotspot mm-hmm. issue. Um, and it's, it's, it's um, are they always going to do everything that, that we want? Have they always done? You know, I, you know. Yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying. That in your experience, they have listened to you on some of the things you you have felt heard and seen. You felt listened to, right? Yes. And you said that ne- they're never going to agree with everybody all the time, right? There's always going to be folks who are unhappy. Um, but as a general, I guess there are, there's a there are some candidates who I'm 100 percent sure are going to come in and say. The district fundamentally is uninterested, well, not the district, that the board and its current composition, they believe, is uninterested in listening to viewpoints other than their own. There's, an, there's going to be folks who are going to say that the current composition of the district suffers from a groupthink mentality and they are uninterested in outside points of view. And so I'm just curious, like, I, I haven't gotten that vibe from you. I haven't gotten the vibe from you that you feel excluded or marginalized in your attempts to be involved in the district or contact the school board as individuals or a group. Um, and so that's where I'm going. I'm just making sure that the vibe I'm getting from you is real, right? That is that, that yes. is how you feel. Yes. I mean, that is how I, that is how I feel uh, at the beginning. Yeah. I, you know, I, my son is in second grade from day one. I've jumped in and started to volunteer, started to, to um, go to different, like I talk about DLAC. Um, Maria Leon Vasquez is our board liaison, and I believe that every board board member has a group that they engage with. So they have, you know, they have their areas. But I I feel like they 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 listen, um, they listen. They can all they don't always agree because mm-hmm. there's been things that I've brought up and they've said, you know, I hear you. I don't think we can do that. But you know, there is other areas that they have listened to and said, yes. That's that's right. Let's let's get this moving. So, um, I that that is that is um, that is my experience. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned being respectful, and I think that's an interesting thing to talk about in the school board race, right? Because I mean, there's been blatant racism in when it's come to some criticism of of Superintendent Drotty. We we've seen. Um, I mean, disrespect is calling it polite. It's very polite in a word for what is sort of bigotry or, or outright hostility towards school board members and the superintendent. You know, that's a problem that the nation is facing. It's a problem with modern politics. 
it's just an issue that's out there right now. You know, do you do you see that sort of civility as being an issue in the Santa Monica schools? Like broadly speaking, do you think this is something we are we should worry about, or do you think these are just maybe some isolated knuckleheads who are causing a, a problem here and there? I um, I think racism is an issue that our country's still grappling with, mm-hmm. and you know when I talk about being. I, I have been at the board meetings. I have heard the comments made, and um, I, it's it's really it's really sad that we're here and and that this is happening. Like you said, across the nation, um, and, and so, so one of my follow up questions to that is sort of why why do you want to step into it? Right. <laughs> like if that's the if that's the thing that we're facing, like why why step into that position? Yes, I like I said, I, I believe that I bring a fresh perspective and that this is meaningful work and I'm not gonna run away from because people are, you know, harassing me or or saying things or uh because there's still racism. There's still work to be done and I this is my sphere mm-hmm. of I'm a parent. I believe in public education. Believe that this is meaningful work, and and I, and I want to do the work. Um, that's that's, yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna keep fear or the fact that we still have racism or any of those things keep me from from doing my my part, working to make our schools better, to have you know more have. Engage parents mm-hmm. that don't feel like you know that have been marginalized. This this is important to me. Got it. Um, so just real quick, we'll run through some other other issues that I know the district is perpetually facing. Um, the caveat I put on this question is, you know, we're told at any minute now we may have a deal with Malibu. We've been told that. I've been told that for months. But where do you stand on the the Malibu split? Do you? So just starting point, do you think Malibu should have its own school district? I, um, I, be, I, I mean, I, I'm new here, but I think that there's been multiple attempt, attempts by Malibu to create its own unified school district. I'm sad to see them go away. I believe that we would be stronger together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm sad to see that we're at this point and that they're dissatisfied I however for me a priority you know I talk about programming and supports for our students in Santa Monica we have you know demographically greater portion of students that are you know English language learners that are Latinx black African-American students and special education so I you know this is this is where I think this the it's about the finances, mm-hmm. that this is where the disagreement has been. And for me, it's important that our students, both in Santa Monica and Malibu, that belong to these groups, have the supports and programs that they need to be successful in schools. Um, I believe that our school board members are still working on the Malibu, uni- mm-hmm. on the Malibu unification issue. Um, but yes, for me, that would that would be uh, that is my priority to make sure that our students have the supports and programs that they need. Got it. Um, the other other you know 
we're just going to do the lightning round of issues that are, <laughs> are in the schools right now, right? So the other thing that's a big point of I don't know, contention, discussion, is uh, what the hell is wrong at Muir and Smash, right? So there's massive mold problems at that school campus. Kids have been dispersed, different locations, different kids. It's kind of, I mean, district's doing its best, but it is a mess right now. Um, what are your thoughts on, A, reconstituting Muir and Smash? So should, do you think that that, that school site should be returned as a neighborhood school? Because that's one of the debates, right? People are worried that they're not going to get their neighborhood school back. So do you do you fundamentally think that once we clear the mold problem, whether it's a rebuild or a repair, that should go back to being a neighborhood school? I, I believe that, that, that um, you know, safe, secure, and sustainable schools is one of my priorities. And I, I believe that kids should be able to walk to, like the kids that want to be able, in the mirror, like should be able to walk to, to their school. Mm-hmm. And should be able to, I mean, there's something about that, right? Being able to walk and it's, it's, um, so I think we should, we should, we should, um, we should have that. Um, there's different, I know that Dr. Drade is talking about, he's doing, um, they're, they're going to have a conversation about how they bring back what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that even though we talk about Muir and Smash, as neighborhood schools, I still believe that the Muir was like 50% kids from the neighborhood, right? It wasn't all kids from the neighborhood. Like we, there were, there were some programs there that drew students from other parts. Mm -hmm. So even though we want to see a neighborhood school there, doesn't necessarily mean that it was right. Smash. Yeah. Smash was like a more of a charter school that brought, I don't know. I actually don't know if it was a charter. I shouldn't say that. Smash is a school. It's not a charter. Yeah. I just was thinking, (laughs) but Smash is a school that drew, drew students from all over the city to the campus because it had a specific approach. programming. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the project-based um, project, yeah, project-based a, learning a pro- approach. So it's a different approach, and it was students from all over. But should I do? I think that neighborhood schools are great. Yes, that kids should walk to schools, and um, yes, and I know that they're going to have a conversation about what that looks like if it's going to be what that looks like. I I feel for parents and and the kids. Right? It's. Um, it's difficult to come back from distance learning and from and just being your school and you think everything's going to start going and then you have to move mm-hmm. and you have to go to different places and there's been, you know, um, issues. So I, I feel, I mean, I, I, it's, it's really difficult. I can't imagine. And I feel for them. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, that's another, that's going to be yet another large scale construction project. However it gets solved, it requires large scale construction, right? There are folks who believe that the construction projects in the district are out of hand, right? Muir smash is a little bit different because it's a necessary repair, but some of the things at the high school, whether it's the discovery building or some of the rebuilds at other campuses, there are folks who think the district is too construction happy and that its priorities on construction and development don't align with what's necessarily best for kids. So when you're looking at the campuses, and granted, your kid's only in second grade, right? Like he hasn't gone through. (laughs) But, you know, you're in the city. You've seen a lot of the stuff going on. Where do you stand on that? Do you think the district needs these modern new facilities or do you think they would have been better off by – adaptive reuse and maintaining some of the old buildings and just making do with what they had. I, you know, I, um, 
That's a, that's a good question. Um, I I think that um, I've been to the Samoha campus. I've seen the pool. I've seen the Discovery Building. I do believe that our learning environment is changing. Our students need. They talk about 21st century learning and about working in teams and doing this, doing that. Um, it's a different experience. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, if I was on the school board, I am a very um, best value type of person mm -hmm. myself. And I would approach things and, and, and really, I mean, our elementary schools need some work. Um, across the district, I think that that we um, and I think that parents feel the same way. Like we we have we we need our schools need some work. I mean, we these these buildings need to be updated. And um, yes, got it. Um, trying to think what the other other districts other questions in the district. So. Um, what school does your son go to? Yeah, so my son started kindergarten at Grant Elementary. Gotcha. And then we, um, and then he was able to get a spot at Edison, um, and he's doing, you know, he's a second grader at Edison. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Um, so are you, you know, fundamentally, are you, are you happy with those two campuses? Like, you know, you've seen those two campuses obviously up front and in person. Like, how do you feel about them? Yes, I, um, well, like I said, I think, I, I think Edison is a beautiful campus. It's one of the the newer campuses. Mm -hmm. I know that there were issues with the the solar chimneys. Yes, um, I I think Grant. I, I mean, I remember going to those meetings with um, Steve Massetti and Carrie Upton um, to discuss. You know, to discuss. Um, there were some issues with the bungalows, and you know, parents. We were talking about creating. They're the different plants. So I, I, I think that um, that we need to invest in our schools and have schools that our, our students can learn in and that are safe for our teachers. Um, I, I think that that is, as a community, we should. Mm -hmm. We should invest in, 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 in that. Um, I... I, um, I don't know all of the, all, all of the things with the Samohai campus but i feel like you know they're the, the new buildings I, I went into the new buildings they're beautiful um beautiful the the pool state-of-the-art pool mm -hmm. um but yeah i as a school board member i think it's very important to manage um i would like to see improvements to all of our elementary school yeah campuses got it um, okay, cool. So as, as we, we're getting to the wind down phase of the conversation, cause like I say, folks, there's, there's a point where listeners stop listening after a while gets to be too much for them. Um, but is there, is there something you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Is there, is there something you wanted a subject you wanted to bring up that we haven't had a chance to weigh in on? I mean, if not, then 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 we move on to the uh, the closing. You know, if if if, if, we've, if we if we we covered most of the topics you brought up here, learning learning loss. I guess we didn't actually talk about learning loss specifically. But we did talk about some of the COVID stuff, but that may be a thing. Um, you know, I know the school board just talked about learning loss at a recent meeting. Um, you said your your child started; so he's in second grade, so he started in this pandemic yes. era. 
right? on a computer. <laughs> so, distance learning, yes. Yeah, so he's he's in a little bit of a unique situation when it comes to this. <laughs> it's sort of all he's known. Um, but have you heard from parents that uh, parents who are slightly older that are worried about this learning loss, about this impact of COVID on their kids? You know, what have you heard about parents as that as as learning loss as a subject? And is that something that you have thoughts on whether there's policies or procedures the school should be implementing to help address that issue? For learning loss? Um, <clears throat> I have to say that <clears throat> we, we I think our, our district, I was very concerned when my son started distance learning. I was like, oh, kindergarten year is so important and child outcomes like 40 years later, it's all dependent on like the type mm-hmm. of teacher he had in kindergarten and all of this information. So of course I was, I was very, um, I was I was concerned as a parent, and um, one of the things that the teacher did was like every week she would make you know she would send out the schedule, and you know uh, the grant PTA gave out you know the the materials for for the students, and so we had all the materials, we had the schedule, we had every week, and then every week she would make time for every student in kindergarten to have a connection like a one on one Zoom, and that was. That that was the silver lining moment every week of my son's experience in kindergarten, and I am very thankful that um, I that he got to have that because it was very difficult. You know, LAUSD, the problems that they had across the country um, with with, um, but at least in that, you know, his kind, the kindergarten team worked really well together and communicated with parents and 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 prioritized that connection with the students um, that summer I, I I went on a road trip and had conversations with you know I'm from through California up to Oregon and had conversations with parents who weren't in the SMM USD district mm-hmm. I got to hear about their experiences of how they weren't able to get computers till way later. They they didn't have that one-on-one connection. They felt lost, and their 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 children didn't get you know. And and comparing our experience with the experiences of of those other parents, I say, wow, we're so lucky to be in a place where where he had he was able to get that experience, and and not felt you know. Um, yeah, um, so I I am grateful for that. I know that. Um, yes, I as far as learning loss, I know that they have the data. the The gap, you know, that that we talk about is still there. Yeah, it, it's a part of the achievement gap discussion as well. Yeah, the opportunity gap, engagement gap, achievement gap. That gap is still there. We still have. We have room for improvement, mm-hmm. of course, but. Um, the district did prioritize getting, you know, the, um, so that's, yeah, that's, yes. All right. So, so I got you on that. Let's, let's move on. Like I say, we'll move on to our, our conclusion, conclusion speech. Um, like I say, getting that time. What, what is it? What's your, what's your wrap up, right? What make, make your final pitch to voters. Why, why should they vote for you? Yes. Hi, uh, I'm Alicia Mignano. I'm running for the school board. I'm a parent of a second grader. In the district, I have a fresh perspective. I um, yes, and I would I would love to have your support. I'm going to be out and about 
meeting people and and I would love to hear your ideas I um, and connect with you so I yes Alicia Mignano um, yes, thank you. gotcha cool all right well good luck in November and then we'll see how it turns out thank you Matthew thanks for listening to inside the daily press Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen on our website at smdp.com slash pod. Music for Inside the Daily Press is provided by The Brig Band, LA's premier jam band. To find out when and where you can hear them live, visit thebrigband.com.